Good morning, Redemption City Church. Our sermon text for today is Philippians 4, 14 through 20. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, Philippians chapter 4, if you want to turn there, would serve you well. As we're turning there, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we, we need you every hour, every day, every minute. We ask that you would quiet our hearts as we were just singing and our souls. We'd be able to focus on your beauty and your grandeur and that we'd be able to see what it is to truly give and that we would be able to give as you have given. You've given your own son, God. Let us cherish that. Let us treasure that. God, would let us be good stewards of all that you have given us. Giftings in faith. And with this great love that you've given us through your son. So once again, we come to your word and we ask that you would transform us further and further into your image. Amen. Amen. The plight of the Irish is the breeding ground of folklore. It seems as though God wanted to amuse himself when he created this rocky little island that's nearly uninhabitable, let's be honest, when he placed it in the western shadow of her big brother, England. And the, the plight of the Irish, they've gone through much. They had the year of slaughter, which was a famine that they went through, aptly named the year of slaughter. Then they had the potato famine after that, in which they lose roughly 25% of their population. Another famine after that, again, aptly named the Irish famine, believe it or not. And then they had the mini famine, and then they have food shortages on top of that. But that's not it. They're also plagued by this constant battling and warring with those outside of their borders, and even with those within their own borders. They have a history of revolution and, and rebellion and civil war. And the plight of the Irish is so bad that even their cultural, their national, and their religious figure that they look to, St. Patrick, he's not even Irish. They couldn't have one of their own. They had to find someone else. So just imagine, imagine if, if Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, uh, George Washington and, and Jonathan Edwards were all French or, you know, something horrible like that. <laughs> don't, don't, it's not in the notes. don't send an email. I know God, God loves, loves the French. Yes. 
So St. Patrick, when he's 16 years old, he's being raised in England. He gets, he gets uh, stolen, basically, by these, these Irish um, pirates. And he's brought to a farm and he's made to watch after the sheep. And after six years, he escapes from his master. And he goes about 200 miles to a port. And he's able to finally convince a captain of one of the ships to bring him back to England. And he has this amazing journey back to his family. And during this whole time, God begins to work in him, and he has this faith rising up within him, and he's eventually ordained into the priesthood. And then he hears this call to go back, and go back to the people that once enslaved him. And so he goes. And by all accounts, he baptized thousands of people. Uh, the sons and daughters of kings were turned to the Christian faith through the ministry of St. Patrick. And he entered into the sufferings of others. And it's in that context that he was generous. He even gave himself. And because of this, he was used to make an eternal impact in the kingdom of God. Now this is the embodiment of Paul's final exhortation that we see here. And his plea to his dear friends in Philippi. And so we come to this text, and what do we want to bring to you? Well, we just really narrowed it down for you. Just one word. Hopefully you can me- even memorize it before you leave. Give. Give. What shall I give? The answer is yes. My time? Yes. This, this open seat at our table that's usually there every night? Yes. Give it. Give it to someone else. Let them come. Of the giftings that God has given to you, give them away. Give them to others. Of your finances, of your time, of anything, all of your affections, whatever it might be, give it away. Don't hold on to it. So how do we see that in the text here? Okay, so verses 14 through 16, we're going to be looking at generosity towards others. What does this look like? And then verses 17 through 19, we're going to be looking, how did this happen? Well, we're generous through others, but we're generous to others through God who richly supplies all that we need. And then finally, we're going to see that all of this is done not for the building up of others, not for the building up of ourselves, but rather all of this is done unto and for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Amen. So with that in mind, let's go back to the text here, verses 14 through 16. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now this text is a perfect example, again, of why we need to understand things within their context. They have given this generous gift to Paul, and a time in when he was in prison, and it's used to sustain him. Now, prison in those days is quite a bit different, as you would imagine, than prison we have today. Uh, they didn't actually take the time to feed you. So the, the, your job was to provide the, the food and your clothing. That's why he's asking later on for um, his, his, his tunic for, from Second Timothy. 
And so it's your job to provide the, the, the food and, and everything like that. And they would provide the, the stone walls, the stone ceiling, the bars, and the guards to keep you in there. And that, that's kind of the, the loose arrangement that Rome would have with her prisoners. And so this generosity you see of, of the Philippians go far beyond than just putting money into an offering plate as it goes by. As you see a, a, as persecution is beginning to rise, there's a social stigma against the Christians. And as those of the church have to enter into this prison, you yourselves are becoming under this social stigma and you're becoming, ah, oh, you're one of those, you're one of those Christians. Oh, I thought we could do business together, but I don't think so. You're one of those Christians. Not only that, in a rising totalitarian state that Rome always was, that um, they like to monitor where you're from, where you're going, and where, where you're at. And imagine that. You become open not only to social stigma, but you become open to the state as well. And of course, when you're going and associating with one of the prisoners and helping take care of them, they're going to start watching you all the much more and all the much more closely. And so here is this church, and rather than them pulling back, the church as a whole begins to press into the darkness and into the brokenness, and they themselves are becoming vulnerable, and, and in that st- setting, they begin to minister to one another. Guys. By God's grace, let us be that church. Or at least, at least die trying. So Paul tells them that, kind of what's going on in the text here is, Paul is telling them, they've received this amazing gift from Epaphroditus, and Paul tells them, oh, I, I can live with everything. I can live in the, uh, with plenty or with hunger or with abundance or need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Through Christ, I can do all things. And then it's as though he almost catches himself. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. I really, really did appreciate the gift you said. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I appreciate what you gave me here. Let me, let me clarify here. It was good of you to be with me and my being socially ostracized. So we think cancel culture is new. It, it's not. It's always been there. We've always thrown people under the bus who no longer serve us. It's, it's nothing new. They did it then. They would do it to the super apostle who's now in prison. Uh, no, yeah. They, it would be really easy to distance yourself from him. But no, they come and they, and they press into that and his vulnerability and his being, he's being abandoned. In the midst of that, they're pressing into that. And so you notice the relations and the interactions between the, the brothers and sisters of Philippi and with, with Paul. And it's really easy to overlook this, but he says, yet it was very kind of you, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. It's in the midst of his brokenness, in the midst of his shame, that's when they're having fellowship. That's the, the, the root of the word there. And they're being generous with all that they have by entering into his suffering, even though they're separated by hundreds and hundreds of miles. They didn't use that as an excuse. They didn't stand aloof and they didn't watch him suffer and tell him what a pity it must be and tell him that, well, don't you remember what you, the letter you wrote to Rome that, that all things will turn out for the good of those who love him? Just stick it out, Paul. That's not what they did. They entered into where he was. 
So friends, never allow your giving to be a mechanism by which you're able to stay sterile and stay removed from the suffering of other people. Enter into their situation. And in that context, be generous. Part of the gift that they're giving to Paul is is their presence that is with him throughout all of his trials. And the, the impact of this Philippian church is in their, not just in their gifts, the financial gifts that they're giving to Paul, but in their, uh, in their relationship with him. It's, it's ongoing and it's ongoing and it's ongoing. It's once and again. Um, Paul is accepting money from them. Have you notice this? He's accepting money from them. A church is like the one in Corinth. He's there for several years. But he's a tent maker. He won't take a penny from them. But there's something about these Macedonian churches. There's something about Philippi that is so dear to his heart that it, it makes him, it brings them to realize the urgency that they must come and they must serve him who is in need. And it gives him a receptiveness to, to their gifts that he didn't have with other churches, such as in Corinth. But there's something about this bond. And so it's not just that they're entering in. It's not just that they're giving. But there's this, this deep fellowship and, and, and openness and vulnerability that's happening in this whole exchange. That we can't lose sight of. So I just want to pause. And I'm going to say, uh, this is you guys, quite frankly. You embody this with your generosity incredibly, incredibly well, and entering into the sufferings of those who are suffering around us, driving across the country multiple times for people you don't even know, and you might not even like, but you did it twice. Continually opening your homes time and time again, helping out with projects around other people's homes on, on your day off. This is amazing, amazing sense of generosity. And it's, it's a generosity that then brings you to be a part of something that is far greater than what you can just do on your own. So it's, it's easy to see, if you want to approach this text here, it would be easy to see, easy to say that, don't you see the church in Philippi are being generous? Therefore, you should be generous at all, as well. So Curtis, cue the music, let's start singing and passing the offering plates. But that's incredibly short-sighted as to what's going on with the text here. And if you're being honest, a text like this, it brings you a place where you have to wrestle within your heart with all that you have and all that you want. So when we're children and we're growing up, the first couple of words that come out of our mouths are... Um, Typically, no. That's number one. Uh, several weeks later, it's they double up the words. They have two words, and they begin saying, by myself. Like, no, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you get your socks. No, by myself. By myself. And then with the other siblings around, third word that is, is, is coming out again and again and again is mine. 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 So there's the, the growing vocabulary is no, by myself, and mine. And out of that soup, you're, you know, you're, you're well on your way to raising up the children. And, and we would be foolish. Moms, dads, everybody else. We would be foolish to think that these deep urges of the human nature are so easily shed. 
When we grow up and the first words out of our mouths are mine, mine, mine. Don't be so foolish as to think, oh, that's past me. I don't have to worry about that. No, this is still something that we constantly and continually struggle with all of the time. So here's where it gets interesting. This is the beauty of it. We have here the kingdom of heaven that is eternal, overlapping. We have the kingdom of heaven that is eternal. And it's beginning to overlap with that which is temporal. The eternal kingdom of God has come down into our temporal and transient world. So the temporal things around us, the the buildings, the homes, the plates of food that we have to offer others, all of them find their eternal meaning when they are used in conjunction with eternal things. Not in and of themselves. They have very little meaning in and of themselves. But when they're associated with eternal things, that's when they have eternal value. That's why someone can be as, as rich as beyond their dreams and still be absolutely desperately poor in their heart. Because it's not associated with eternal things whatsoever. But if you're a widow and you have a mite to lay into the offering plate as it's going by, well then you're heralded as the model of generosity. Because it begins to begin associated with the eternal things. So this is how it, it changes the way in which we look at everything that we have. And that's why we have to be good stewards of what we have. So Adam and Eve are in the garden, and all that they have, they're to be good stewards of it, to there to work it and to keep it for God's glory and for His kingdom. Think of all that you have in that same way. That you are to be stewards of it. And you should be asking yourself, and it doesn't happen passively, you have to be asking yourself, how can I do this? How can I enter into the brokenness of the world around me? How can I be a good steward of the temporal things that God has entrusted to me to be a part of making an eternal impact? And it's only then that these simple things around us that are fleeting, that are temporal, begin to make an eternal impact. It's then that you begin to see That it's not just an empty plate at your table. It's not just an empty chair. But no, that is where someone can come and be receive the balm of God's love as they see you as a family worshiping together. That's when an old 50-year-old garage becomes much more than just a 50-year-old garage filled with things in a drill press. No, it's a place where men can gather together and smoke cigars and have camaraderie and talk about the goodness of God. That's when it's not just... You know, like warm milk and espresso with some fake chocolate substance. No, like that, that's a drink you can make, bring to a mom who's grinding it out through the day with her kids. That's when the temporal things begin to have eternal value and they won't in and of themselves, but only when they are used as a means for an eternal impact. It's when, we're mar- when our lives are marked by this posture you will soon realize that in fact it's not actually you giving, but that it is God who is giving through you. So let's go back to our verses here, 17 through 19. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. 
I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift, gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And here in these verses, we receive kind of two unexpected twists. The first one here is that Paul is making it clear that their generosity and their gifts are actually being used to their credit. Um, Paul is not seeking their gift. He appreciates it, but he isn't, again, seeking after that. And in this whole interaction, Paul isn't consumed on what he is getting or the temporal benefits that he might have from it. But rather, he's seeking the fruit that increases to their account. And so we see that God's economy is far different than ours. In a worldly sense, those who give are quite foolish, to be honest. But only in God's economy could it be possible that it is better to give than to receive. And it takes deep faith, let's be honest. It takes faith to walk this out. It takes faith to give up what we see, to have that which we don't. It takes faith to walk and to, or to give up what we can enjoy now for that which we will enjoy in the eternal realms. It takes faith to give up ourselves, to show our neighbors that we actually love them more than we love ourselves. So in God's economy, it's actually upside down from everything that we've ever learned or taught. The third word that comes out of our mouth of mine. God's economy, it's yours. No, it's, it's yours. Take it. Have it. Enjoy it. And to give this fleeting Thing and to receive eternal food. So, so Paul is writing to them. And he's not telling them that, that, that he might receive more. But no, he's encouraging them in their acts of faith. That they will be met with a more glorious reward afterwards. But it, that's not only the first twist that we would expect. That it, it's actually their giving is credited to their account. To their, to their fruit. But finally, we actually see that it is God who supplies all of their needs according to his riches. That it is through Christ that we have the grace to do what is good. And it's through Christ that we shall expect our reward. So if God is the one who is supplying all that you need, right here in verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Go ahead and try to do it. Try to outgive God. Who richly supplies all that you need. Walk in faith. Give all that you have with an open hand. And you'll notice here that it's not actually the riches um, by Jesus Christ. But it's actually the riches in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ himself are the riches. All that we need. He's the eternal one that will sustain us forever and ever. He will eternal, He will sustain us throughout all of eternity. And He is the one sustaining us now. So that's the beauty of generosity is that we are proclaiming through giving that I am living in Christ Jesus now as I will live throughout eternity. Let me show you. I don't need this. You can take it. You can have it. You can enjoy it. It is Christ who is supplying all that I need. 
faith, love, hope. Christ will supply all that I need. So you are being invited into this. This invitation is for you. This is why we, we, we can't just say, be generous. That it misses the whole point. That we must treasure that which is eternal. We must treasure Christ in Himself. And when our heart's posture is towards Him as that of submission, that's when we can become generous. We can't start with, be generous. No, we start with our heart's posture towards Christ. So then, we cherish the eternal. And when we do that, then we are able to give of the temporal. So just make it your goal. Maybe it won't happen today. Maybe it won't happen this week. But make it your lifelong goal to give it all away before it's taken from you. It's going to be taken eventually, won't won't it? It's going to be taken eventually. So don't hold on to it so tightly now. And maybe it's death that's going to rip it out of your hands. Live with your hands open now. That you might give it to other people when they are in need. And God will again live out in faith. That God will richly supply all that you need in Christ Jesus. To proclaim to everyone around you that no, Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough. Give it to the point where maybe others around you might say that it looks foolish. Pray that you'll have an opportunity this week to be generous to someone else. Someone who is in need. And maybe you can even give yourself. And this is the beauty of generosity. It's this, this dancing between the eternal and the temporal. And you see it dancing in your own heart. As you go, oh, should I give? Should I not give? Well, they didn't work hard enough. But I worked really hard. You know, We have this dance going on within our hearts. The beauty lives lives in that we are living out not just generosity. We're not just doing what the church in Philippi did. We're not just doing what Paul is commending them to do, which is good. But we're actually living out the life of Christ. So it's commendable to the Philippian church that they would enter into the sufferings of and the hardships of, of Paul. But the beauty of it all is that they are actually living out the life of Christ. It was Christ who entered into our sufferings. He was the one who entered into our shame and our brokenness. And He is the one who has truly come to share our troubles. This eternal God has come into the temporal world. He became human so that He could share in our sufferings. And indeed, He did. But He didn't just share in our sufferings. He just didn't come alongside of us. No, He took Him one step further. He actually took all of our sufferings upon His generous shoulders. That the eternal wrath of God would be laid on Him so that through Him you might have eternal life. Brothers and sisters, we have no concept, zero, of generosity Apart from Jesus Christ in His work on the cross. And I pray that you are not sitting here right now and thinking so little of this glorious work that is done on the cross. And 
So when we're realizing to, we must be generous, the first thing we have to realize is, I actually have, I have nothing to give. What am I going to give? I have nothing to give to God. But yet, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. It's why I have nothing to give. But yet, even though I have nothing to give, God has given me everything. And He's given me everything in His Son, Christ Jesus. He's given me life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except me. He's given us hope. We know that from Isaiah, that all of Him, all of the, in Him, all of the nations, all the Gentiles will have hope. We have life, we have hope, we have love through Christ Jesus. So don't leave this service without wrestling with Christ Jesus and all that He has done for you. Don't be ambivalent when you leave Him. I would rather you coldly reject Him than be lukewarm to Him. You can either do that. You can either coldly reject Him or you can grab a hold of Him with every affection and every fiber of your heart and come plead to Him that He might be generous to you in your brokenness. And when that is true in your heart, we will all be resounding out with verse 20 here. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. So don't be distracted by the things of this world. Don't hold on so tightly to them. And you see this, this, this glory of God, there's this, this glory of God that is seemingly emanating out of Him. That is the, the sum of His divine perfection and it's, it's the beautiful light emanating out of His eternal being. And that's the glory from Him. But what Paul here is talking about is the glory that's due unto Him, which is the, the affection and the love within our hearts that is ascribing to God all of the love and, and affection and worship that He is due for what He has done in giving us His Son. So brothers and sisters, be generous. Be generous, not for the fact of being generous, but to be generous that you are walking out in faith and that you were living in the eternity to come, that it has invaded our present time and you were living that out in this moment by proclaiming that Christ is enough. And by doing that, you will give Him all of the glory that He is due forever and ever and ever. Let us pray. Let us pray. God, you've given us so many things. And when we think of that, we think of the cars and the warm homes you've given us and the food that, Lord willing, we will be able to eat later today. And we miss over the glaring fact that you have given us yourself. God, if we have so much around us that we miss the fact that you have given us yourself, take it all away. Let us starve and cherish your son rather than being well-fed and not need Him. Let us be generous in all that we have, so that the world around us can see that You are enough. Amen.